We're in uh, 1 Kings 19, so go ahead and turn there. But uh, the title of our lesson this morning is Defeating Depression. I have this fear that uh, with the delivery of this lesson that you will become depressed. (laughs) But hold fast. During this lesson, I also have application points. So you can use those application points if if I cause you to become depressed. But seriously, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great gospel preacher of the 19th century, was quick to admit that he had bouts with intense, deep depression. He once said, I'm the subject of depression so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go. He also said, Although my joy is greater than most men, my depression is such as few can have an idea of. You know, I would venture to guess in a group this size, there could be genuine believers who who battle with depression uh, on on a regular basis. Either you struggle personally or you know someone who does. And either way, my prayer is that this lesson will be of some benefit to you. You know, sometimes I'm wondering if this topic is not talked about uh, amongst Christians in Christian circles because of the stigma that it that it brings on the spirituality of the person who who might admit that they they suffer from depression. But I'm thankful for the word of God uh, because it, it, it does not brush off our emotions, uh, but it deals with them head on. It gives us the ability uh, to see from God's perspective. I'm thankful for his word because he gives us from his perspective um, how to deal with our emotions. His word is a manual for us, uh, how to handle life's ups and downs. And God's word is indeed sufficient to meet us where we're at. And it always lifts us to where we can set our hearts on, on heavenly things. If you take a look at Psalm 119, in verse 25, the psalmist is crying out to be restored or to be, to be quickened, to be, to be brought back to life. And in the context of this, it, it suggests that, that his revival wants, he wants to be revived again from his depression. He says in verse 25, he says, My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. And in verse 28, he says, he says My soul weeps. Because of grief, strengthen me according to your word. And so the psalmist is crying out for revival. He wants his joy to be restored. You know, in a few verses later in, in Psalm 50, 119.50, he says this. He says, he says, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your word, past tense, has revived me. It brought him back. It restored him. God's word is sufficient to restore us and to offer us hope. Let's go to our great God in prayer. Pray with me. Father, it's to this end that we pray. Father, we come to a topic this morning that, um, <clears throat> of depression. And I know that there might be many in here that battle with this. If not personally, then knowing someone who does. 
God, I pray that you would be able to equip us with your word this morning so that we might understand from your perspective who you are, your love and your great goodness and your tender tenderness towards us. Revive us, Lord, and help us to, to know how to, to come alongside others as well. So I pray that as we are confronted with your word this morning, that we would be a changed people and have a better understanding. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're in 1 Kings chapter 9, and in this passage we see the great prophet Elijah dealing with depression in his own life. But before we look at his, his spiraling into despair, we need to remember the spiritual accomplishments of this great man. As you recall from 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, we witnessed that, that Elijah was a great man of faith. He, he trusted in the providence of God to sustain him. He obeyed God's command to hide in the, the Kirith Ravine, and there he was, he was fed by ravens and, that were sent by God. Uh, he obeyed God's command to go to Zarephath, where he was fed from an endless supply of, of flour and oil. He had faith in God that he, that he could raise the dead, so he stretched out his body over to the widow's son and prayed for his life to return. Elijah was a, a man who had passion for biblical worship. He offered the proper sacrifice on the proper altar at the proper time of day to the proper God. Elijah was a man of deep faith. And it was demonstrated in his prayer life. He prayed that God would shut up the heavens from the rain. And it did. He prayed for spiritual health of the nation of Israel. And he witnessed many repenting of their sin and, worship, and, and returning from worshiping Baal to worshiping the true God. And we need to remember that Elijah was a great man of God. He was among the greatest prophets. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, Elijah was there with Moses talking to our Messiah. And lastly, I want us to be reminded uh, of Elijah's humility. I want you to take a look at 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 44. Elijah is here, and he's instructing his servant. He's telling him to go to Ahab, King Ahab. And he says, go to Ahab. And he says, tell him this, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. The rain is coming. And so he's telling his servant to go to Ahab and tell him to go on and to leave. Verse 45, in a little while, the sky, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Now look at verse 46. It says that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now the point of this story is not that Elijah was some great spiritual athlete, and, you know, perhaps he was an athlete. And the point of this story is not that he got to Jezreel first, as if they were in a race. For Elijah to run ahead of Ahab was to identify himself as one of Ahab's servants. Elijah ran ahead 
as one of the king's footmen or herald. In ancient times, kings were almost always preceded by a company of servants to herald the approaching king. To run ahead of a royal person was to be subservient to him. We see this in, in the book of Esther. I think you remember as, as Mordecai was led about the streets of Susa on a royal horse, Prince Haman, who could not stand Mordecai, was compelled to lead Mordecai, proclaiming to all the people Mordecai's greatness. And so this humiliation for Haman uh, came because he had to go ahead of Mordecai, proclaiming his greatness. And that's what Elijah is doing here. Elijah is submitting himself willingly. Elijah's zeal for the true king, the true God of heaven, demanded him to respect the king of Israel. Elijah was a man of deep humility. And so God has preserved in his word in chapters 17 and 18 uh, to show us that, that Elijah was a, was a godly man. He was a, a great man of faith. He was a humble man. He was zealous for God's reputation. But God, by his providence, has also reserved in his word for us to see this great man of faith at his worst. In chapter 19, we see this great man of faith spiraling into the depths of despair. Point one on your outline, <coughs> Elisha escapes from Jezebel. If you take a look at verse 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, Elijah you have until sundown to get out of town or your life is mine. Now, I want you to think about this. What usually happens to a person when everything's going their way? God has blessed them abundantly. They're making all their appointments. The parking spot is right where he needs to be. He's making all the lights. But God is blessing him throughout the day. But one thing seems to go wrong. Maybe someone says something evil or mean to them. Where does that person's focus usually go? After all that God has blessed him with during the day, where does that person's focus usually go? Yeah, on that, on that one mean thing, that one negative thing. And so instead of focusing all on that God had previously accomplished through Elijah, he was consumed by the threat of his life. Verse 3, he says that he was afraid. <coughs> Excuse me. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. Elijah fled 
over 90 miles to Beersheba. You know, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and so when I think of this, I, I really scratch my head to wonder what happened. How did this man of God, this man who was undaunted against Ahab and all the prophets of Baal, how did he suddenly become timid and afraid? And not only did he flee to Beersheba, but if you look at verse 4, he said he himself went a day's journey. Thank you. Appreciate that. In verse 4, he goes a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat under the juniper tree. And so what Elijah is doing here, he's, he's getting as far away from Jezebel as he can, as fast as he can. Now look at the end of verse 4. <coughs> Elijah requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Elijah is spiraling down quickly. He has suicidal thoughts. He did manage to pray. We've got to give him credit there. He put his, dire, his desires to end it all in the form of a petition to God. <clears throat> now, before we continue, we just really need to remember here that suicide is an, is an abomination to the Lord. It's God and God alone who is the Lord of life. And only he chooses when we exit this world. But Elijah is not the only man in Scripture that felt hopeless to the point of crying out to God and asking for his life to be ended. If you recall, <coughs> we have Moses in Numbers 11. When he was leading the nations in the wilderness, it became too much that he could handle. And so he asked God to end his life. Job, in Job chapter 10, he wished that he was never born. Jeremiah, he cursed the day of his birth in Jeremiah 20. And then Jonah asked God to take his life. From Jonah's perspective, it was better for him to die than to live. These men <coughs> did long for death. But one of the things that we learned is that they did not take their own life. Instead, as an example to all of us, they take their despair to the place where God rules. They take their despair to the throne room of God, and they pray to the Lord of life. And I think this is something that we can learn from all these men. You know, we need to remember that we're never promised in God's word of a carefree life if we come to Christ. The gospel is not a ticket to a life without problems. Coming to Christ in genuine biblical faith does not mean that we're no longer to deal with the sin of this world or the unregenerate flesh of, of our desires. Now, don't get me wrong. God the Father, through Christ, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But they will not be fully realized, nor will they fully be experienced perfectly in this lifetime. And the example given to us here is that even in our hopelessness, 
we can always approach the God who tenderly cares for us. And I think it's important for us to understand um, some of the, the spiritual causes of depression. Some of the things that we can glean so far, and this is not an exhaustive list, uh, but I hope it's a list that's helpful to you in your personal walk, especially as you counsel others who find themselves in a state of depression. Some causes of depression, one would be just fatigue. Elijah was exhausted. You know, after slaying the prophets of, of Baal, Elijah tells Ahab to leave and go and get something to eat and drink while he himself went back up to Mount Carmel to pray. And soon after, he runs a marathon to Jezreel. And then he runs another 90 miles from Jezreel to Beersheba. And finally, he went a day's journey into the wilderness. And even though he might have been a superior athlete, he was on the verge of physical exhaustion. So, fatigue can be a contributing factor that leads to depression. Another cause of spiritual depression is isolation. Isolation. You know, the Christian life was designed by God to be lived out in the, the context of a community of believers. You know, this community is called the church. God designed it that we are to be mutually accountable to one another. No Christian can thrive or survive without the communion of the saints. And yet Elijah, he had been virtually alone for three years during this time. He did not have intimate fellowship with like-minded believers. Depression is not only caused by the absence of community, it also perpetuates it. It makes you understand a little bit better during the year 2020 when we had the COVID-19 lockdowns, why the suicide rate went so high. A next cause is spiritual opposition. Spiritual opposition. Elijah stood against all the prophets of Baal, but even when he had overcome them, he was opposed by Jezebel. Thus, Elijah, being under direct spiritual attack, relentless spiritual opposition, is bound to bring a believer to the point of discouragement. You know, perhaps you, found your, or you find yourself in a workplace where you're, you're the only one who has genuine faith in Christ. And your faith in Christ is continually mocked. Perhaps you're the only one in your family and your constant opposition to your faith can be very challenging. And along with spiritual opposition, there's dashed expectations. It's very likely that after coming from the, the ultimate mountaintop experience off of Mount Carmel, and seeing those who were in once in opposition to God, they repented and began to worship God was an extreme emotional high for Elijah. He probably was looking forward to his encounter with Jezebel. And as he was coming to Jezreel, in full confidence, 
he came there thinking that the Lord is going to win the day. But in his, in his encounter with Jezebel, it was a slap in the face spiritually for him. Take a look at verse 3 again. In verse 3 it says, And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. I think the King James does a better job of translating this verse here. It says in King James, it says that, And when he saw, he arose and ran for his life. So in that moment of being confronted by Jezebel, he was gripped by fear and his life passed before his eyes. And at that moment in time, Elijah takes his gaze off the Lord and he fixed it on his circumstances. And that's what happens with us when we become depressed. Our gaze is taken off our Lord and it's placed on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And we can be overwhelmed by the situation and slip into depression. When our expectations are not met by how we think God should handle a specific situation in our life, our hopes are dashed and we can slip into depression. And then lastly, another cause is just simply guilt. Guilt. Elijah deserted his post in the middle of the battle. He abandoned his divine calling at at a crucial moment in the spiritual destiny of the whole nation here. Elijah failed in the one area of life that was his greatest spiritual strength, and that was bold faith. He simply just walked away from God. You know, I realize that there are other factors that can contribute can can contribute to depression and and most likely do but there are simple remedies for these if we're struggling with spiritual depression we should identify its causes clearly and, and quickly as we can and apply the obvious remedies that are practical for us if we're tired you know perhaps exercise but definitely rest is what we should get If our bodies are breaking down, we should start eating a balanced, healthy meal. If we're isolated, we should go to church and talk to other Christians. In fact, one way to move from depression to joy is to begin using your spiritual gift that God has given you and serving other people. When you start looking about who you can serve, it takes your eyes off yourself onto those around you. If we're under spiritual attack, we need to seek others and ask them to pray for us as recorded in James chapter 5. If we're obsessed with our troubles, we should lift our gaze on all that God has done for us at the cross. And then finally, if we're guilty of sin, we need to confess our sins and repent. Psalms 32, Psalm 32 reminds us that when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through the, my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of, of heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you 
and in my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, being assured that we're in a right relationship with our Lord and Savior brings healing to the heart very quickly. So in the midst of dealing with depression, we need to remember that, that God continues to love us and he desires to care for us. And that's exactly what we see in our passage here. Point two on our outline, Elijah encounters Jehovah. If you take a look at verse six, Elijah lays down and, and he sleeps under the juniper tree and behold, there was an angel touching him and he said, arise, eat. And then he looked and behold, there was there was a uh, at his head, a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. When Elijah had enough, when he asked God to take his life, he discovers here that, that God is his grace is more than enough for him. These verses remind us that that we serve a loving and gracious father who cares in our time of hurt. And not only do we witness God's tender mercies uh, given to Elijah, but it's also a reminder for us of how to minister to those around us who are depressed you know god could have given elijah a stiff a stiff rebuke he could have told him to to pull himself up by his sandals and get with it i know that that's what i would have done but god demonstrates his steadfast love and his tender heart by coming to caress elijah with physical touch to speak to him in an audible voice to provide nourishment uh, in need to restore him. And if you look at down in verse 7, we begin to see that this was God himself who did this. Look what verse 7 says. It says, The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. You know, anytime in the Old Testament where you see the phrase, An angel of the Lord, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is God himself, the second member of the, of the Trinity, the, the second person of the Godhead, who comes to Elijah so tenderly, mercifully ministering to him. God demonstrates his care for those by, by allowing us to come to him in our time of need. In in Matthew 11, we're reminded that, that Jesus even said, he says, come to me who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in verse 8, we see that Elijah rose and he ate and he drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God, or, or Mount Sinai. Now, I'm not sure if this is the route that uh, Elijah would have taken. However, it was most likely that he took this route that you see here on the screen. 
according to Google Maps, it would take 87 hours by foot. I tried to figure out how long it would take by camel, but it didn't give me that option. <laughs> John MacArthur comments that it took Elijah double the time it normally should have taken. And then John MacArthur, he comments on this as being a literal, this was something that literally happened. It took him 40, 40 days, but it was also symbolic. This is what John MacArthur says. He says, as the people of Israel had a notable spiritual failure and so wandered 40 years in the desert, as Moses had spent 40 days on the top, uh, excuse me, on the mountain without bread and water, sustained only by God as he awaited a new phase of service. So Elijah was to spend 40 days depending on God's enablement as he prepared for a new commission from the Lord. And after the 40 days in the wilderness, Elijah is still depressed. And we need to remember that depression is not like a 24-hour virus. I've had this cold for a week. It seems like 40 days. Spiritual depression is hard to shake. But God's love for Elijah made it evident through his focused pursuit of this prophet. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, Elijah came to the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, What are you doing here, Elisha? Now, I can't be sure, but as I studied this, it seems as if Elijah spent most of the 40 days in the wilderness rehearsing a bitter speech that he was ready to give to God the next time he had a chance to to talk to him. And, And here's his chance. The Lord comes to him and asks, What are you doing there? What are you doing here? Elijah now again I was not there but I'm going to attempt to read the way I truly believe Elijah responded okay we just have the words we don't have the emotion but this is how I think it came out I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts and for the sons of Israel forsaken the covenant and tore down your house and killed your prophets with the sword And I alone left. And they're seeking my life to take it away. You don't know how long it's taken me to practice that. Okay, so. (laughs) All right. I should probably go practice some more. (coughs) Now, thank you. Appreciate that. Now, the reason I believe that Elijah responded this way is because, you know, it's a well-rehearsed response. And I need for you to drop down to verse 13. Because the same question is posed to him. And he gives the exact same response. Verse 13, he says, Behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now, breaking down this response, we can see that that during this depressed state in his life, the prophet was preaching to himself half-truths or lies. 
And these are very destructive when we are in this state of depression. He was feeding off the lies that he kept telling himself that impeded him from returning to the joy of his salvation. Here's some warning signs of depression that we need to be aware of, not only in our own lives, but with those that we minister to. First, he was feeding himself half-truths or lies of his self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. And this is true. There was a time when Elijah was zealous for the Lord. But not now. Not now he's not. You know, he's, he's panicking from threats of, of Queen Jezebel. He's not being zealous for the Lord. And, and you got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the omniscient God who knows everything. It's as if Elijah was asking for some special treatment from God here. Apparently, he thought that, that God owed him something for his service. He thought that he deserved better. But don't we do that as well? Aren't we tempted to believe that because we attend a, a solid, solid Bible church and we're active in, 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 in using our spiritual gifts to serve the body, don't we feel like that we deserve special treatment from God? We begin to expect that we should, should be exempt from the flu or a cough or a cold or car trouble or corporate downsizing. We feel like we should be exempt from the troubles that a sinful world will bring on us. Self-righteousness feeds our spiritual depression by making claims on God that will only add to our bitterness when he fails to meet our outrageous demands. Another warning sign of depression is self-pity. Self-pity. Again, listen to how Elijah responds. He says, he says, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And then he says, he says, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah's exaggerating here. It was only Jezebel who was seeking his life. Elijah says they. It's simply not true. And so he's turning the queen into the entire nation of, of Israel. And the prophet is, is magnifying his troubles and nursing his sense of self-pity. When we're spiritually depressed, we often exaggerate our troubles, seeing them as bigger than they, that they really are. Rather than looking to God and seeing his superior strength and mighty grace, we imagine that our troubles are beyond his remedy. God becomes small and everything else becomes big. A third half truth that Elijah told him how was I'm alone. He was preaching to himself his self-importance. Self-importance. 
you know, he says here, I'm I alone and left. And as we read through this passage at the end of chapter 19, we see he's not alone. There are 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He is not alone. And I, I love how Philip Ryken says this. Tongue in cheek, he says it this way. He says, by now we can see that Elijah was holding an egotistical little pity party. No guests were invited to this party, of course, because the prophet's whole point was that he had no one to invite. Right? This is my pity party. Nobody else is invited. You know, we're f- when we're falling into spiritual depression, it's likely that we've been doing the exactly the same thing. We say things like, I deserve better. I can't take it anymore. My problems can't be solved. Nobody understands me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. And if this is what we've been telling ourselves, it's no matter, it's no wonder that we're depressed. So back in verse 9, when, when God says to Elijah, and I want you to catch this, I want you to understand this. <clears throat> when God is asking Elijah, what are you doing here? He's really asking him this. Why are you in this state of depression? Why are you forgetting who I am? He says, Elijah, why are you not living in the reality that I am the God of of the universe and I have redeemed you and I have called you by my name? Why are you not living as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? I have called you to be a people for my own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies because I have called you out of darkness into my marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why are you here? Why are you in this state? Have you forgotten all this? So God proceeds to remind Elijah who he is compared to the living God. Look at verse 11. He says, and so he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rendering the mountain and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earth was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. You know, God always deals with his children in a manner that they need in a manner in which they needed to be, need to be comforted. So God comes to Elijah to re- reacquaint himself to who his God really is. And after reminding Elijah that even the elements of the earth, the wind, and the fire are at God's command, at the end of verse 12, he tells us that God comes to Elijah and he says, in the sound of a gentle blowing. Again, I think the King James does a better job here. 
He says, after God reveals his power over the wind, the earth, and the fire, he comes to Elijah in a still, small voice. You know, in order to overcome our bouts with depression, we need to be reminded who our God is. We need to understand how big he is and how small we are in comparison. We need to realize that, that God, if he so chooses, could snuff us out in an instant. But he has chosen not to. We need to see his, his omnipotence mixed with his steadfast love and grace. We need to see his almighty power combined with his gentleness. When we want to see the gentleness of God, we need to look no further than in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want some, demo- I want some uh, feedback on this one. The question is this. As you recount the Gospels, as you think through the Gospels, how did our Savior demonstrate his gentle, tender care to people in the Gospels? What do we learn about God's gentleness and caring of us through his son, Jesus? How did Jesus demonstrate his tender, loving kindness towards people? Louder? Healing them? He was personal? Yeah, special knowledge about them as an individual. He knew them. Compassionate? Yes. Not afraid to touch them. Servant? Yeah. You know, and these are some that I came up with and we've already come up with you know, the same ones. You know, Jesus came gently to earth as a babe. Think about this. The creator of all things came gently to earth as a babe, not born into a wealthy royal family, but to parents of humble means. That's his gentleness. He was gentle with those who were lepers, touching their wounds and healing them. He was gentle with those who grieved, weeping with those who wept. He was gentle when he entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, you know, showing kingly humility there. And the one that I think I always come back to is he was gentle with all his disciples, restoring all of them to fellowship because all of them denied him and forsake him forsook him you know we can go on and on but in our passage god demonstrates his gentle reminder that 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 god has not left his throne he instructs elijah that he should he's still at work he's quietly at work and sometimes uh without perception he's still calling israel to himself And this comes to our last point. Elijah enlists Elisha. Look at verse 15. And so the Lord said to him, go and return on your way. So he's recommissioning Elijah here. 
Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel, king of Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimesh, or excuse me, Nimshi. You shall anoint king over Israel. And Elijah, you shall appoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Verse 18. And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, and I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what, I have, what have I done to you? Or in other words, what he's saying here is, I will not prevent you from saying goodbye to your parents. Go do it. And so, verse 21, he returned, and follow, uh, returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Elijah was restored. He found the joy and the peace and the comfort in the God who cares. You know, as I was studying this lesson, I came up with many implications, but I thought that really... The one, it narrows down to just one. And for those of us who want to avoid the pitfalls of depression or whenever we find ourselves depressed or how we can minister to those who are in a state of depression, we need to daily rehearse the fundamentals of the gospel. We need to speak the gospel to ourselves daily. We need to daily remind ourselves of all that God has done for us in Christ. There at the cross, where justice and mercy met. I began this lesson by quoting Charles Spurgeon. I think it's important to make sure that we follow up on these quotes. Charles Spurgeon did say, I am the subject of depression so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. But he did say, but I always get back again by this. I know that I trust Christ. I have no reliance but in him. And if he falls, I shall fall with him. But if he does not, I shall not. He did say, although my joy is greater than most men, my depression is such as few can can have an idea of. But he also said, I bless God that at my worst, underneath me, I found the everlasting arms. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, spiritual depression or unhappiness in the Christian life is very often due to our failure to rel realize the greatness of the gospel. We must never look at any sin in our past life or any way except that which leads us to the praise of God and to magnify His grace in Christ Jesus. 
And let me leave you with this. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us not lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the fact that even in um, the tough times, the times of depression, that your word addresses these things. And your word tells us that we need to see the face of Jesus who tenderly, lovingly cares for us. And so, Father, I pray that even this morning, even now, if there's someone in this room who is struggling with depression, oh God, hold them tightly to yourself. Help them see the tender mercies that are found at the cross. Let them be restored to the joy of their salvation. Father, I pray for all of us in this room that we would quickly daily rehearse the fundamentals of the gospel that we would preach the gospel to ourselves so that moment by moment we can see and understand and experience the joy that you would have for us god we thank you for your word we thank you for uh, uh, how it brings life to us might we glorify you in all that we do today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.